Dead men tell no tales. Fifty men loaded in man's chest. Yo ho ho and a bottle of rum. Drink and the devil had done for the rest. Yo ho ho and a bottle of rum. What will we do with the drunken sailor? What will we do with the drunken sailor? What will we do with the drunken sailor? The ship with black sails that's crewed by the damned. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. Welcome to the Black Pearl Show. It's the next phase in the evolution of Pirates of the Caribbean, for crying out loud. It's the daily podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and plunder the Pirates of the Caribbean films one blimey minute at a time. It's the first and longest-running Pirates of the Caribbean fan cast, which broadcasts five and sometimes six bloody days a week. Did you know that? No. I'm Scott Artis from scottartis.com. And I'm Heather Artis from blackpearlminute.com. Maybe there's a reason we're the first Pirates of the Caribbean dedicated podcast. Is it possible? What do you think that reason is? Hmm, that's weird. I hear crickets out in the audience. Is that a sign? (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for joining us for minute six of Dead Man's Chest. Before we go any further, though, if we don't get a freaking pirate word of the (gasps) week right now, then all those people out there in listening land will simply lose their minds and be let down. Which, like we just said, is probably like five or six. I totally forgot again. So pirate word of the week, are you serious? No. Okay, pirate word of the week. Do you need an invitation? Yeah, I do. Okay. Curse you for breathing, you slack-jawed idiots. It's the pirate word of the week. Loaded to the gunnels. Loaded to the guttles? Gunnels. Gunnels. Yes. What's that? Strunk. Oh, is it? Yeah. That's cool. It actually started as laid into the gunnels in 1834, meaning it was a heavily loaded ship. Ah, I see. But then they just went to heavily loaded men or pirates. I could see the first guy doing that. He's on board and he finally decides to drop that bomb on somebody after they're drunk. (laughs) Ah, people are so creative when they come up with things like that. All right. Bravo, I can't believe it. I mean, now we can actually launch season two. It's like my OCD kicked in and I couldn't continue unless we really had to get things off on the right Pirate Word of the Week start. It's like missing something from that first week and now we can actually officially get started here. It was there. You just didn't like it. Now we can actually take this podcast and show seriously. Now it's about time we, we had it one. You just didn't like it. No, you, you recycled one. You didn't even have one and you made it up. I saw the look. You know you forgot. So quit lying to those five or six people out there. That's just rude. In the previous minute, Lord Cutler Beckett, having previously stolen Captain Jack Sparrow's Why Can't Anyone Give Me Respect Witticism, who, by the way, originally pilfered that trope from none other than Rodney Dangerfield. Because he can't, like you, get no respect. The close-talking Beckett plays a round or two of Do You Remember, enlightening his shackled bride and groom that nothing's cut and dry when dealing with Jack Sparrow. Captain Jack Sparrow. Meanwhile, the ahead-of-his-time renaissance man Gibbs partakes in a little, and I say little, 15 men on a dead man's chest, but a whole lot of rum. Don't you know? It's bad luck. I mean, raven bad luck. To be singing about pirates when mired in an unnatural fog. Minute 6 begins with a grisly 18th century... (laughs) What, like Grizzly Adams? I mean, what? Why are you loud at that? Grizzly, you didn't like it? Grizzled? What do you want? 
Why are you laughing at that? You totally messed it up. This is my introduction to the previous minute and the new minute so people know where we stand. And you're laughing at Grizzled. <laughs> or Grizzly. <laughs> it's not like a bear attack. Are you done now? Good. Minute six begins with a grizzly 18th century. And you're laughing at that? I mean, what kind of psychopath laughs at this kind of scene here that we're coming upon? Seriously, you're laughing at this minute? That's weird because this is a hell of a minute going on and you're laughing at it. I'm laughing at your choice of words. Really? Yeah. I mean, come on. We're talking pirates being... Not pirates. Prisoners being tortured and people being tortured and, dare I say... I plucking good time and you're laughing over there. You got a real sick sense of humor. Can I try this one more time? Meanwhile, okay. Minute six begins with a grisly 18th century prison scene as the unkindness of ravens reach their destination. A cliffside prison. Ah, Heather. Cliffside prisons in the 18th century. Always a good time. Torches, gibbeted prisoners hang between the two sides of the prison. Filthy inmates are escorted by guards across a cobbled bridge. And one unfortunate shackled soul is dragged by the arms. Oh, that's a knee slapper, according to Heather, apparently. God, no. Are you sure? Yeah. The minute ends with a recently dumped prison coffin tossing in the white, foaming, sloshing ocean waters while another coffin is thrown as the prison help discard another deceased prisoner from the rocks for a floating, watery grave. Yep, that's stuff to laugh at, Heather. I mean, you can tell we're still rolling in the opening movie thing going on here. Because it's all character set up, a kind of... Where are they now? It's like when you look up somebody. Where are they now? That's what we're doing. Yes. After Curse of the Black Pearl. We're still doing the where are they now deal. Where are they a year after? Exactly. Elizabeth, Will, Governor Swan, Gibbs, and even Norrington are kind of thrown about. And, I mean, we didn't, okay, we didn't see the former Commodore, but we know he resigned his commission. There was this blatant, like, transition from Port Royal to this Mediterranean Sea thing going on here with Beckett and the wedding duo hitting the Captain Jack Sparrow card pretty hard. Did that make sense to you? Did I just word salad that? So no surprise we transitioned to a ship in the ocean because they were both left with that it's Captain Jack Sparrow and the whole where's Jack Sparrow? Where is he? Has anybody seen him? And then we kind of move off and now here we are to the ship. Although we don't see Jack Sparrow, we know that there was a transition coming because like I said, that's the movie, the way they do it, these transitions. If only we had such good segues to our next talking point, if you will. Yes. We don't. Like this one. The dark opener. <laughs> I'll just throw that out. Of Mount Doom, by the way. <laughs> exactly. Good morning. <laughs> That's about all I can say of this dead man's chest opening scene here. I mean, or this whole opening thing so far. Hey, honey, let's go see the new Pirates of the Caribbean movie. It was such a blast last time. I'm looking for a weekend pick-me-up in the antics of Jack Sparrow. Uh, a broken wedding? The main character's arrested? An eye-plucking, creepy prison that can only be found in the mind of Tolkien? Man, <laughs> what the hell is going on here? And this really is a dark start. The tone has been set, and then they keep dumping on it. Yeah. Can it get any worse? Why, yes, it can. Bring in the raven! <laughs> Do you... I mean, seriously. I'm like, close your eye, man. Close your eye. <laughs> doesn't wanna... Put your hands up. Something. I think his hands are down in the shackle. Know. They look like they're just hanging on the I thing. I know. There's but no way you just sit died. there. You just don't sit there and yell. He, if you're, he sat or, there with his eyes open. Ah! He didn't want to damage his eyelid. I tried. Do you want? He just be... wants his eye plucked out? If 
the eye is coming out either way. So do you want to have a hole in your lid so you can't cover it up? Or do you want to just have that thing gone too? Well, at least I uh, protection. I mean, come on. The lid's a bit of protection. I don't know if you can... You can see the raven's reflection in his eyeball. I don't know if there's physically a way that you can not keep your eye from trying to squint yeah, down oh as yeah, much as Oh yeah, you totally close. I don't care. Totally. I mean, it almost like you had no eyes. You'd be squinting so hard. You'd be closing unless, that thing. Unless his eyelid was already gone because... I don't know. He well, just let that, let that raven pluck it right out. I mean, ravens are pretty good sized birds. And with that beak, it's pretty powerful that they're going to pluck that sucker out no matter what. God. It's like, <laughs> you couldn't keep my eye open. Just even being that close, I'd be yeah. like <laughs> blinking and... You'd be moving your head. Yeah. All he did was scream. Well, he is Take gonna... my eye! <laughs> no. <laughs> the moral to this story, don't go to a Turkish prison. Yeah. So, or Mount Doom. <laughs> exactly. Because the Turkish... Turkish. The Turkish prison is where we're at here. It's this Mordor-looking Middle-earth building in prison with, deal with eye plucking ravens yeah with eye plucking ravens is located in the mediterranean sea near the ottoman empire it was obviously set into a side of a cliff as we can tell and we can talk about this later but i'll just let you know that mordilla was the warden and we will talk more about that later because i do have a bit more behind the scenes stuff mordilla so, a woman or mordilla a no it's a guy that's okay. the last name oh at least i think it is i'll have to double check but I do have more kind of behind-the-scenes storytelling that we can get into this with, but that'll happen in a couple episodes because we don't have the full story playing out in this minute. So I don't want to... It would just be full of spoilers, so I don't want to do that. So for now, that's all you get. You just get Turkish prison, Mordilla, Seaside Cliff, prison action, raven action, yeah. Eye-plucking ravens. And the prison coffins that are thrown into the sea at... This particular stage that we see at the end of the minute. This happens at Black Point Beach on the eastern side of St. Vincent. Just so if anybody's going there, they want to check out the uh, the coffins in the water. It's on the eastern side of St. Vincent. That's where you go to see coffins. Wow. Exactly. So do they really use coffins to dump the dead to sea? That, my friend, is an excellent question. And I didn't be- even have to prompt you or give you some eyeball action to... To say that, you just actually did your job. It's amazing. You <laughs> rolled right off the couch when you're phoning in your performance, and you come up with something that actually has a good segue. It's like the Captain Jack Sparrow thing we just talked about. Because, of course, I had to look up burials at sea. And I found myself getting way too into burials at sea <laughs> and learning about this. You did. And Turkish prisons. It almost reminded me of like an airplane moment. What is it? I can't think of it. Billy, little Billy, little Bobby, Bobby Sue, Bobby Joe. So, Billy, do you like movies about gladiators? I mean, this is the kind of thing that I started to think about while I was looking at burials at sea and Turkish prisons in the 18th century. So, beyond cost, full-body burial services can start at $9,750. That's today, if you want to have a full burial at sea. And there's little stopping you from visiting Davy Jones' locker, though. Though the EPA must be notified within 30 days of your final voyage. So the Environmental Protection Agency wants to know ahead of time if you've engaged the services of somebody to dump your body at sea. Really? Yeah, full body. This is not cremation and ashes. This is dumping your full body. You can actually get your body dumped at sea. Just your body. Just your body. Wow. Exactly. I didn't think you could actually do that anymore. They can't regulate out in the middle of the ocean. How dare they? EPA, you said. That's if it's so many miles within it. Oh, okay. 
The agency's main concern is that once sunk, bodies stay that way. So that's their whole premise. They don't want they don't want floaters. So you have to weigh it down. Burials must take place at least three miles offshore and at least 600 feet of water or 1,800 feet in certain areas such as the Gulf Coast. If you use a casket, so you can even use a casket, the agency recommends drilling at least six three-inch holes in it to facilitate rapid flooding and venting of air. Huh. So all those looking to get rid of people out there? Yeah. This could be a how-to lesson for you, too. (laughs) There's all kinds of uses for this show. It also suggests adding, and when I say it, the EPA also suggests adding four pounds of additional weight for every pound of body weight, which means that a coffin for a 150-pound person would weigh more than 750 pounds if you abide by their guidelines to be dumped. So you couldn't toss it like they were doing. Well, some people could, strong people. They weren't exactly following guidelines if you saw the floater thing. Well, they're, yeah, there. they're totally floating. And to make sure coffins don't pop open when they hit the water, the EPA also advises wrapping them in stainless steel chains, gift box style. Which would add more weight. Which would add more weight. Yeah, there you go. So it's uh, quite the thing. But that, I'm not done. The rules for burial at sea are more stringent in the United Kingdom. Bodies can't be embalmed and must be clad in biodegradable material as well. So you don't contaminate. Exactly. It's all right. Coffins must be made of soft wood and may not have plastic, zinc, copper, or lead fittings. Like the EPA, British regulators are preoccupied with preventing bodies from washing up on shore or getting snagged in fishing equipment. Hey, Bobby, look what we caught. (laughs) And it's a floater. They require coffins to be heavily weighted and drilled with 40 to 50 holes. Just in case, each body must have an ID tag locked around its neck. In case they come, in case they floaters. come up, they want to make sure like they're not wasting their time that this is somebody that was murdered or right. lost at sea. They want to say, "Hey, no, he was buried out there." Though it is rare, bodies do occasionally resurface. God. So in September, I think this was 2011 when I found this, a fisherman came across a floating corpse, naked except for a sock, a few <laughs> miles off Florida's Atlantic coast. Always good to at least have some attire Gotta have, on. Yeah, gotta at least be partially dressed. Something. A brief homicide investigation revealed it belonged to a North Carolina man who had been buried at sea a day earlier, wrapped in plastic tarp. Could have done a better job than just the tarp wrapping. Yeah. In 2007, a fishing boat off the Massachusetts coast pulled up the remains of a body that had been buried for more than six years. Yeah. That's That's not not good. good. No, it's not. Ah, dead man's chest, minute number six. It's a happy time. Results may vary, though. Depending on the burial spot's depth, temperature, and its abundance of sea life, generally the deeper and colder the water, the slower bodies decompose. A 2008 paper in Forensic Science, yeah, just a little light reading. So Forensic Science has described the differing conditions of remains retrieved from two airplane crashes in more than 1,500 feet of water. A victim discovered off of Sicily 34 days after death was still fully dressed, but a three-month-old body found off the southern coast of Africa had been fully skeletonized by highly efficient necrophagus lysianacids, which is like a flesh-eating shrimp-like creature. Huh. In three months, skeletonized. Jeez. There must have been a lot of them. I can imagine. That's pretty crazy, though. Like I said, you want to get rid of somebody? Take them to South Africa. <laughs> or the southern coast of Africa. Once you get them there, then you can just decompose and get rid of them. British colonial burials at sea of the 18th and 19th century involved wrapping the deceased in sailcloth weighted with cannonballs. The crew of the ship Johann Dietz was serving on it in late 17th century had performed the burial ceremony for a deceased carpenter, and this is a quote from one of the people in the 17th century here, whereupon he floated in the wake of the ship. 
Whether the bears ate him or the seals, I know not. But his ghost was reportedly seen on board the vessel. This is a matter that I shall not discuss. Wow. While this is one of the more kind of rare mentions of the ghost of a man, say, buried at sea, haunting a ship from this 17th and 18th century, the idea was likely exacerbated by the fact that the body had not been weighted sufficiently enough to immediately sink out of sight. Yeah. So they threw it over, he popped back up, and then, you know, gave all these guys the creep. These these superstitious Gibbs-like yeah. guys all got the heebo-jeebos, and... Then there's ghost stories happening. Of course. You hear any kind of clank and you're going to say, hey, it's the carpenter. He's come back. Yeah, that's what happened. But as far as our movie here, I just I just don't think there's any way they buried these guys at sea in floating coffins. No. Without weighting them down. Right? I mean, is it possible? Was it cheaper to put them in wooden caskets or wrap them in canvas or some other material, sailing cloth or just nothing, and throw them overboard? Nothing. Right? would be the cheapest way to but do would, it. Is cloth more valuable at the time than building a coffin from wood? Yeah, I don't know. That I don't know either. So, I mean, because I get it that the guards don't want to waste time or I, you know, really they don't even give a rat's ass about the prisoner who died. But who wants coffins washing up on a beach? I do. Well, I know besides you. Most people don't. But it does add a whole new dimension to beachcombing. Hey, I found some shells, a sand dollar. Oh, and a rotting corpse. Ah, I love the beach. This has a whole new dimension to snorkeling. Yeah, too. That does. <laughs> but if you're snorkeling, that's why you can't just bury them right by the resort. <laughs> you know, 30 feet of water. <laughs> There's a casket down here. I mean, yeah. that's why it's got to have some regulations. Otherwise, you're just out there snorkeling and you see like people bringing the body and <laughs> submerge it right by the coral reef there. That's not good. But seriously. They wanted to become coral. But semi-seriously, I should say. Yeah, but that's a whole nother process that you know I've told you about where they actually compress your ashes and kind of form it into a rock or it looks like a piece of coral and then you can drop your buddy, your family member out onto the reef. buddy. (laughs) It depends who it is. But the coffin thing, right? Yeah. Is it possible? I just don't see them putting floaters out there unless it was so much cheaper to have a wooden casket than having to put weights in there or rocks. And like I said, these guys don't care, these guards. As long as oh, yeah. their house isn't right there where these bodies are washing up, they don't really care. Right. So that's that's my guess. That's what I have to guess. Yeah. But come on, just have a, some common decency just for your other people. They don't care. Not the prisoners. I know they don't care about the prisoners, but do you really want just bodies floating up? I mean, these guys don't look real reputable anyways. Yeah, but the world and, wasn't populated like it is today. That's true. So. But still... In this area, I don't know how close this was to civilization, but you don't want a bunch of just floating coffins out there because then that means they get... eventually sink, possibly. Possibly. The bodies and you got floaters and if they don't sink, I mean, that's just weird. Maybe then somebody just takes them and buries them. No, Yeah. (laughs) Some guy's just floating around out there. Yeah. No. Then when they... Yeah. Some guy's floating around out there catching the bodies and then burying them. When they come to shore. When they come to shore. That's just weird. I hope this one gets there. Cross my fingers. I, I don't know. I just don't think that they would actually do it that way. I think that they would maybe w- wrap them in cloth or just dump the bodies over with weights on them. Yeah. That'd be a hell of a pile, though, building up, though. Maybe that's why. They've got a pile of bodies building up right there at that one area. I don't recall. At Chateau Deef, what did they do? They just, they were wrapped in a cloth. And weighted? And weighted, yeah. Exactly. And I have a movie reference that I was going to bring that up. You brought it up now, so I guess we'll talk about it. 
even though you're just messing up all of our transitions and how we're going to do things. But we'll keep it organic. We'll keep it going how you want. Because, yeah, while watching this minute, there were a couple of movies that I immediately thought of. And the one that you're talking about is The Count of Monte Cristo and the whole Edmond Dante's escape from Chateau d'If. The dead prisoners are really being flung into the sea completely reminds me of the coffins being dumped here. So I don't know. Maybe they got inspiration from that and took it. But in that one, they, I believe, were wrapped in... Okay, this is... I don't know, and I should have maybe looked up the actual writing, Count of Monte Cristo, the book, to see what it exactly said. But in the movie version from the 90s or early 2000s, now I don't remember that one. But that one, I believe they were wrapped in more like a linen or some kind of canvas or something. And then... And they were sewn in. So they were sewn in. And then... They were weighted at the feet with like some cannonballs or okay, some Okay, yeah, I recall. And then Dante's has to, to get out of that before right. he drowns. The other one that really reminds me of this is Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. The scene with the raven is really similar to that. Don't you think? Was he plucking eyes? No, he wasn't plucking eyes. But I mean, maybe it's better to say inspired by the whole shower scene in Psycho. Because the quick shots, the close-ups, the fast movement of the camera... Really gives you that sense of, yikes, man. I mean, yeah. this dude is being brutalized by a raven. But the gore is not like directly in your face. No. That's the same thing I think with Psycho when I see that original shower scene. Yeah. So that that's all I'm saying with that. I mean, but the entire thing, whether it's the raven deal or the Chateau d'If-like disposing of bodies except with the floaters. This entire setup with this Turkish prison... Is that it's not really a place you want to be. No. It's not like Cheers. You don't want to be there. Not everybody wants to go there and know your name. The guy was screaming as they were dragging him in. Yeah. This is a cesspool of pain and torment. Yeah. Which reiterates the beginning sequence with Elizabeth and Will that the happy ending we got with Curse of the Black Pearl has really devolved into this tragic situation for our characters. So instead of the noose, they will be able to live the end of their lives next to each other in the... If they get thrown overboard in coffins, they can be no, uh, floating the, coffin buddies. In the giblets. The giblets? <laughs> <laughs> I said gibbets. You said <laughs> the giblets. <laughs> like I could use some I could really use some turkey innards right now. Okay. And get some giblets going. We all know why I said giblets. Or you know why. <laughs> I don't know why. I think that's just why that's you said the, it. That's the only way I can remember giblets was by thinking of the cat giblets. Yeah, we did have a cat named Giblets. <laughs> that's the only way I can remember was thinking of her. <laughs> <laughs> the prisoners are like, no, no, I don't want to be gibleted. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's torture. You know, they're starving anyways, and then they have to be gibleted. <laughs> it's just wrong. It is so wrong. Oh, I think we get a neat view of right above the doors as they're closing them. Yeah. It's just this kind of neat closing of this prison. It's just a neat view from sitting on top. We're not going in as we're part of the movie, you know. <laughs> we're not going into the prison. We just get to view the outside world of it. Yeah, there's some good cinematography. And that's actually happened so far. And that includes just even in the previous minutes, some of the rigging and some of these shots. But yeah. there's some really nice shots. And some of it I was going to talk about tomorrow's minute. I have a little, just a few tidbits on that. But I think that... 
this movie is also mirroring some of the cool cinematography shots and, and setups that we saw in Curse of the Black Pearl, like with the dress underwater and yeah. these kinds of things. I agree. But speaking of like body parts and giblets and things, because I still can't get that out of my mind, <laughs> this is actually what we needed to go to Ravens. I mean, the Raven giving that prisoner that like Turkish eye exam, if we want to call it that, is just about really as cringeworthy as anything you can think of. Sort of some kind of horror movie. Yeah. Well, I asked you at that point in time, is this movie PG-13? Yeah, you did ask me that. <laughs> and it is, by the way. Yes, it is. But this is not just something limited to Pirates of the Caribbean movies. And I'm talking not about ratings, because we all know that there's ratings out there on movies. But I'm talking about eye-plucking raven action. So I was doing a little light research into raven torture and eye-gouging. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Oh, happy dreams. Making <laughs> reading, doing before you go to bed, you know, that that kind of stuff. It's like, what should I read about tonight before I fall asleep and go to my slumber? Yeah, raven eye poking. That's what I looked up. Turns out, my search resulted in an in interesting find. And not to mention, right on Turkish prison raven eye plucking. Say that five times in a row. Imagine that. There's actually stuff that's out there about this. Wow. Yeah, you bet. And I'm not talking just about... People writing about it in novels or kind of fictionalizations and maybe some potential stories. But the history of the Sedlik Ossuary, commonly known as the Bone Church, begins in the 1200s when the abbot of the Sedlik Monastery brought back some holy soil from the pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Hang with me. I'm getting there. I know it's a weird tangent. The legend says that this guy spread... This soil across the Sedlik Cemetery and instantly created what became the hot new burial ground for Bohemia. By the 1400s, more than 30,000 people had been buried in the cemetery, which had to be enlarged because of the plague in 1318 and the Hussite Wars. Ah, the plague. You know, that's one of my favorite diseases, my favorite pox upon humanity. And I'm not saying it's because of the Black Death, but I actually love the scientific name because I used to be in micromolecular biology and the name is just awesome. Yersinia pestis. Now that just doesn't sound like something you want to 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 have. It just has a great ring to it. It's like my some of my other favorite ones like Bordetella pertussis. I just love some of these scientific names for these diseases. Well, bacteria and viruses and whatever else we want to call it out there for everybody else out there. But yeah. Let I us love... know what your favorite scientific name is. <laughs> for, a, for your favorite disease. You know, your bacteria, your virus, or anything like that. But Yersinia pestis is right up there with mine. And Bordetella pertussis. Oh, of course, Enterohemorrhagic Azurigia coli is another choice one of mine as well. So we talked about the plague. The plague killed a lot of people. They had to enlarge this cemetery. But it still got to be... A buildup of bodies. Nothing what you want, especially in that time, is a buildup of decaying, decomposing no. bodies. And so, at the end of the 1400s, the bodies were dug up. That's not a pleasant job. Especially back then. We need somebody to dig up a bunch of bodies. Oh my god. You know, the plague and all yeah. that. All these other diseases that could be floating around. Anyways, they dug them up. They moved to the chapel and made in all these bodies into pyramids. The bones, the skeletons, the bodies. Yeah, not a good thing. So those piles stood until they took their modern form in 1870. They actually left these bone piles Jeez. there. When an artisan was hired by a noble family to turn them into intricate decorations for the chapel. Really? <laughs> yes. No way. Yes. I'm not lying. This is true. 
Sedlik Ossuary, which is said to contain the bones of between 40,000 and 70,000 people. Well, let's just call it this. One of those people, one of those thousands of people in these finger quote decorations that somebody made is indeed a raven pecking the eye out of a Turkish prisoner. Yes, it's verified. I've seen the pictures. It's there. I'll, of course, I'll, I'll have to share the link of this picture on our Facebook group, the Pirates That's of the Caribbean Minute lovely. Cursive Listeners group. So you have to check it out. But yeah, Raven plucking the eye out of one of these dead Turkish prisoners. Craziness. But as far as behind the scenes, when the Raven plucks out the eye of a man confined in a metal cage, while these other birds peck at maybe unidentified body parts of other prisoners, this was just animal acting. No CGI, actually. After releasing the Raven, a trainer cued... It to pull out a fake eye from a dummy body. Huh. Trainers had previously taught the bird this behavior, and then the filmmakers liked it so much that they incorporated it into the script. Not that it was the eye, but that it could pull things out. It's not like these trainers were just sitting there like, hey, I wonder if we could train it to pluck out an eye. I no. was going to say, I'm not sure you want to teach your raven how to pluck out eyeballs. Yeah, exactly. Oh, <laughs> Yeah. All of a sudden, one day, you don't have an eyeball anymore. No. You got to have a safe word, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so it knows oh no this is the wrong eye to be plucking out tippy toe tippy toe yeah i was gonna i was <laughs> trying to Seinfeld think of one reference. of the mini ones <laughs> then there's also another one that was in four christmases ah for the holiday mistletoe 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 tippy toe tippy toe depending on seinfeld or four christmases okay there you go so yeah trainers did this and the filmmakers decided hey we could really use a plucking that they uh, come up with so they really incorporated into the scene and into the script. And in order to keep things interesting for the raven, because they'd get bored of the same thing, yeah. they're really smart intellectual birds. They need their challenges. So the trainers had to make sure the eyeball was firmly attached and would offer some resistance when the birds grabbed it. <laughs> Otherwise, it would just lose interest in this whole game because right. they, they really set them up as like a game, not just, can you oh, do yeah. this? They don't like lo- talk with them like, hey, do you mind if you just go pluck this eye out? No, they make it a game for them. And then the pecking done by the other birds was encouraged with bits of food that was tucked in strategic places. So, yeah. Live birds. Raven eye plucking that was, uh, real. was real and fascinating with our uh, bone, bone church. There you go. Trained ravens. So, remember, if you ever see a raven coming, cover your eyes and yell tippy-toe, tippy-toe. <laughs> your eyes will be safe. Happy day to everyone. Welcome to the Feel Good Black Pearl Show. Happy Monday. Yeah, happy Monday. It's where we depress the audience with tales of imprisonment and death. And let's hope Minute 7 brings us some good cheer. Something. We might need something, right? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, but we did cover some cool stuff here. It just wasn't uh, feel good. And you just right out of the bat started laughing at things, which is still mind-blowing. Talking about grizzled people or something. Not grizzly, but... Not like uh, a grizzly scene. Not like Grizzly Adams or some kind of feel-good laugh fest I, I, here. I, I, mean, got, just I were... got a grizzled old man in my head. <laughs> that is weird. <laughs> Jeez. I don't even know if I could follow that up. All I'm going to say is we'll be back tomorrow with Minute 7 of Dead Man's Chest. Until then, you filthy grizzly bilge rats, let's keep the horn swoggling to a minimum. And the drinks are flowing. You've been listening to The Black Pearl Show, and we appreciate it, scallywags. Heather, I know you're still on pirate time and kicking back with the booze, but you may have noticed 
Actually, who am I kidding? The only thing you've noticed lately is the inside of the Faithful Bride Tavern. Anyways, our procrastination has paid off yet again and Season 2 is here and we are willfully unprepared. Maybe we can distract people with a Jack Sparrow wave of the hands and send people across that thing called the internet. Check us out on Facebook.com slash Pirates of the Caribbean Minute, Twitter.com slash Black Pearl Men, Instagram.com slash Black Pearl Show, SoundCloud.com slash Pirates of the Caribbean, that's for best of clips, and by all means give us a plug and review on iTunes. We'd appreciate it, mateys. Oh, and let's not forget the Facebook Cursed Crew Listeners Group for post-episode discussions. That's actually a lot to remember, especially if you're in a foggy haze like Heather. Just go to blackpearlshow.com and everything is there at the click of a button. Perhaps I should have just said that from the beginning. Yo ho ho and a ball of a rum. Yo! This is a Shoutreach Media Production. Pirates don't need no stinking disclaimers, but just for fun. I think all you dirty, filthy bilge rats know that Disney and Bruckheimer Films have no affiliation with us at all, and we have none with those blooming cockroaches. We talk about Pirates of the Caribbean, which is their property, and all that other fun stuff. But I think it's obvious what's ours and what's theirs. There's no need to blur the lines or stir up a bloody rum-filled sweat. As for the music... That's with permission or licensed under Creative Commons. So let's give a shout out to Ross Bugden, Six Nail Coffin, and Tommy Wynn. The rest? Well, that's just me. Oh, and maybe Heather.